Today I will be reading from Romans 8, 18 through 30. This is on your pew Bible, page 800. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth complaining with the glory that is to be revealed. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to, the, to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this, we, in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with impatience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to, conform, to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. I'd like to ask, uh, it'd be helpful for you if you kept your Bible open. And again, it's on page 800, I think, in the Pew Bible in front of you. There, if there's one in the rack there, you're welcome to open that up. And it's on page 800 is where you find Romans chapter 8. We're going to be going through this a good bit. We don't always go through it with a lot of the verses, but we will definitely do that this morning. It's a, it's a densely packed passage about hope. This is the, the next to the last in a series that we've been doing on Romans 8 about what the Spirit gives to us. And really what this passage is all about is indeed hope. In his autobiography, Billy Graham recalled going to meet Winston Churchill for the first time. And Churchill had been dealing with what Churchill called the melancholy, really what we would call depression. Uh, Churchill struggled with that. And when he walked in, Churchill just came around from his desk and walked up to Billy Graham and put his hands on his shoulders and pulled him almost eyeball to eyeball, and simply said, Son, do you have any hope? And we've got to ask ourselves that. And, and I've asked ourselves uh, that this week a few times, simply because of a lot that's been going on around here, close by, maybe not necessarily someone you know, but people that are close by. Um, this past week, whenever we have staff meeting here at Brookwood Baptist Church, we start with prayer concerns, and it just went longer than usual. People dealing with chronic illness, people dealing with divorce, with, with job loss, with uh, some other type of strife or trial or, or, or turmoil that they were going through. And it was just a long list, and we had to go uh, longer than usual. And that very same day, there was a young lady in my class over at Sanford University uh, who was age 18, whose cousin, who was the same age and who was like a sister to her, had been killed by a drunk driver the day before. Very sad. And then a young lady named Allison at uh, Sanford the next day uh, found out that her father, who was in his 40s, 
<clears throat> died in his sleep very suddenly, just no reason really, uh, just went to sleep, did not wake up. And the tragedy was compounded by the fact that her mother had died when she was age 13. Now, 18 years old, both parents are gone. I could give a lot of other examples from the week. You know about the struggles that are going on over in the Ukraine right now, the crisis over there. We have a couple that hopefully are on route right now back from the Ukraine. They were there when all the rioting began because they've gone over to adopt a child. It's uh, Mark and Barbara Pugh who are members here of this church. And in fact, I was told by one of their kids that, uh, who, who are here and members of Brookwood that uh, when they got there and they flew in and they got off the train, they were right there at the square where the rioting had been going on. Fortunately, they're okay. We're praying for their uh, return and that ultimately uh, this adopted son would return with them one day very soon. But we have all these trials that we have to deal with. But there is good news that there is hope. And we need to hear this word of hope. And, and, and really, the Spirit gives us hope in many ways. And our passage this morning tells us this. Some people define hope as faith looking into the future. Faith looking into the future. So how does the Spirit help us have a faith that helps us look into the future with real, authentic hope? That's really what our passage is about today. Don't always do this, but I have an outline that we're going to flash up here just because I think it'll be helpful because this, again, is a densely packed passage. So first of all, the Spirit gives us a hope of what is to come. The Spirit gives us a hope of what is to come. And you see the key verses there, and then really we're going to have three key words in each of these movements. And you see that up there, and we'll get to that in just a minute. Let's go back, though, to verses 16 and 17, which I know we dealt with last week. But I want to deal with that because it really is a good lead-in to what we're talking about here. It says, the Spirit himself testifies that with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So the Spirit is telling us, and through the Spirit, we are God's adopted children. Which says that one day we will be heirs with Christ and heirs of eternity. And so we will endure this suffering for now, this trial, this tribulation but we await what is to come. And it says that there's this future glory that we can look forward to. Well, what is that future glory? Does, does Paul unpack that a bit more? Yes, he does. Look at verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Well, what is that glory? Skip down to verse 21. That creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. It's basically saying that future glory is the future resurrection of ourselves, of our bodies, which we've already sung about today. That one day, even as we go through difficulty in this life, we will experience that ultimate glory of being raised up. Well, that's all great and fine. That's good to hear. But at present, things are not easy, and it's hard to wait for the redemption of all things. That's a part of who we are. We, we yearn for all things to be set right. We yearn for justice in this world. We yearn for the world just to be a more loving place. And it's a painful wait. But because we have that hope in Christ, it is worth the wait. Look with me at verse 22. Paul likens it to childbirth. Verse 22 says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. He compares it to childbirth. Now, studies will show you again and again there are two worst types of physical pain. One is kidney stones, okay? Anybody have, well, I don't, we don't want to know, but uh, some of you have had that. And the other, indeed, is childbirth. Now, both are 
painful, both involve groaning, if not audible groaning, definitely groaning on the inside. Anyone who's after, ever passed a kidney stone would tell you they would not care to do that again. But ask a mother who has given birth. Ask a mother who has given birth if she would ever go through that pain again, and she might well say yes. It's painful, but it's worth the painful waiting. And through the Spirit in us, we groan and wait, but we know that now it's a worthwhile wait. Even as life knocks us around, even as it throws us curves and and beats us up a bit, it's worth the wait in the end. And there's something that really helps us as we, as we wait, and that's what Paul calls the first fruits. There's that key word. Go back to verse 23. He says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. I know that's just a phrase, but we have the first fruits of the Spirit. What does that mean? Originally in the Greek, first fruits means literally a foretaste of that which is to come. A foretaste of that which is to come. How I many of all know what this is? Have you ever been to Yogurt Lab or Yogurt World or Yogurtville? Yogurt Town, Yogurt Library, Yogurt Bastion, any of those. You get one of these and what do you do? Does anybody know? Gabby, what do you do with this? You ever been to Yogurt Lab? Yeah, what do you do with this? You know? Like if you see something that looks really good, like a flavor of yogurt that looks really good. Gabby didn't know I was going to pick on her. But if you see that, what do you do with this? You squirt the stuff in there and you try it. Exactly, right? Well, Gabby, she's brilliant. See, that's what baptism will do for you. We just baptize her and she's just got it all together now. It's just amazing. Exactly. She's exactly right. You put it under that yogurt dispenser and you let it come out and then you try it. And if it's good, what are you probably going to do? Get it. Okay, yeah, you're right. Over there. Have you been baptized yet? Okay. Okay. Exactly. Now, some of us who are older probably think more fondly of the little pink spoons at Baskin Robbins. How many of y'all remember that? Uh, could I try? Did you ever do more than one? Oh, that. Oh, oh uh, you know, could I just try? And then, what's the most you ever did? By the way, did you do like? I remember doing four and feeling really guilty. I felt like I had to come forward the next Sunday. And y'all do up? Did anybody do samples of four before? You can come up this morning. Okay. Um, but again, it's that foretaste of, oh, the good that's about to come along. In fact, it was really cool. A young man in another church is about Gabby's age actually said, ooh, that looks like a communion glass. And you know what? That's kind of a foretaste of something to come to. And I thought, that's cool. That kid knew some theology that, you know, as we partake of the drink and we remember Christ and his sacrifice of the shedding of blood, that's a foretaste of the glory that we will all experience when we ourselves go to be with him in the most ultimate eternal sense. I thought that was great. But that's what it's talking about. It's the first fruit of what we can experience. And, and hopefully even in this life we experience a foretaste. It might be in a worship service. It, it might be on a mountaintop or at a beach or some special place. Uh, I remember uh, Deanna, my, my wife Deanna, her mother and, and father went to um, a reunion of a church. They used to uh, go to church down in Fort Lauderdale, and which is not the most churched area. So when you went to church there, you really meant business. And those folks really huddled together and grew together as a community down there. And years later, they decided to have a reunion up in Maggie Valley, North Carolina. I don't know if anybody's ever been to Maggie Valley. It's a beautiful kind of resort area. And uh, Anna and Ed were running a little bit late, so everybody was already in this chapel that was located on, on the resort, and the, the former pastor was there just kind of gathering everybody together, and they had been visiting for about an hour. And then Anna and Ed tried to creep in the back because they were running late, and they opened up the door. And you've got to know the pastor who was there. He's the guy who married us, but he just paused and said, well, look what the cat just dragged in. And everybody turned around and looked, 
And Anna said it was just amazing. It was like everybody just went crazy, just cheering and clapping and ran back to greet them. And she said, it, it just felt like how heaven is probably going to be. You know, everybody just, hey, they finally, look what the cat dragged in, you know, and, you know, uh, great to have you here and everything. And she, I remember her saying, it just doesn't get any better than that. But then she stopped herself and said, no, you know what? It does. That's a foretaste of what it's going to be like, that ultimate good that awaits us. So that's one thing that the Spirit gives us. But the Spirit gives us something else that gives us hope, that helps us hope. And this is secondly, the Spirit gives us a hope that shares our present pain. And the key word there is intercedes, and I'll get to that in a minute. But let's go back to verse 23 and let me read the, the full verse. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now, we groan as we wait for adoption. That's saying we go through times of pain in this life and we groan. And we have to be patient as we wait for things to get better and move to that ultimate good. Look at verse 25 there. Uh, but if we wait, if we, excuse me, for, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. That's not easy to do, though. Not easy to do at all. Because in the meantime, we have to keep pressing on, marching on in this life that, that really throws a lot at us. We've got to keep shouldering these burdens and going through so much. And sometimes, and have you ever been in one of those situations where you're at such a state of sorrow that you really couldn't even put it into words? Have you written a card to somebody who's going through a lot of pain and you just start out by saying words cannot express? Chances are you have been there. And the good news is that the Spirit understands that. The Spirit understands that clearly. Look at verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. We don't know what to say is what it's saying. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. What that's saying is the Spirit groans for us and understands our groans. In fact, the Spirit, in a sense, communicates with God the Father as the the Spirit and the Father are one. So the Father hears our prayers. He uses that word of assurance in verse 27. He says, and he who searches our hearts, that's God the Father, knows the mind of the Spirit, because they're one, because the Spirit intercedes for people in accordance with the will of God. So the Spirit intercedes for us when we are at such a point of pain, he carries that word to God the Father. And so God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son understand what we're going through, that they empathize with us more than anyone. Indeed, Jesus can empathize with us because he came here and experienced every type of pain you can think of. But not only that, notice that it says there in verse 27, he comes along and and helps us to live in accordance to his will. It says the spirit intercedes for us so that the saints can be in accordance with God's will. That's a cool word. The spirit intercedes so that we might live in the will of God in spite of our suffering, that we will help be helped along and stay the course, that we might stay in the will of God. That's what Paul is saying. Now, there's one other way that the spirit gives us hope amid the pains of of this world. And this is the one I want you to to hear the most. And especially one thing I say here, if nothing else, I want you to hear me in just a moment. The spirit helps us find purpose through our pain. And this includes one of the better known passages in all of scripture and all things. God works for good for those who love him. Those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 28. Now notice it doesn't say all things are good for those who love the Lord. Obviously there's a lot of pain in the world, a lot of bad in the world. And I wish we had more time. I wish we were in a class here. But sometimes I get asked, why is there evil and pain in the world anyway? Why is there sin in the world? And I wish we had more time, but I'm just going to try to 
condense this, but I want you to imagine for a moment what the greatest of all possible worlds would look like and the most authentic of worlds would look like. You know, suppose that's what God wanted to create and suppose God believed that the greatest of all possible worlds and most real of worlds would include created beings who loved him and who loved one another. Well, in order to have true authentic love, these creatures had to have free will. They had to have the capacity to not love. Indeed, perhaps even to hate, to choose not to love. So suppose God chose to create a being who had that free will. Well, in order to have the possibility of good, there has to be the possibility of what? Evil. How else do you identify what evil is without having its possibility? So there you go. He creates good, but there has to be the possibility of evil as well. Evil is the absence of good. So God can't create the possibility of, for evil without permitting it to be there. And when it does happen, we can commit evil. Uh, evil can be committed against us. And it makes life difficult, but we can't overcome it. That's where we're going here. So Norman Geisler says, Earth is not the best of all possible worlds, but it is the only pathway to the greatest of all possible worlds. In other words, this life with the groaning of creation can lead to the glory of heaven where free people choose to love God and love one another. But even when we can't understand why something is happening in the present, we can trust what will happen in the future. Now, put it on right now. If there's nothing else I want you to hear, it's this. We've got to get this right. There is a difference between a reason and a purpose. Hear me on this. Sometimes when bad things happen, you'll hear people say, well, there's a reason for everything. This happened for a reason. Everything works out for the best. Now, I think we mean well when we say things like that. We're doing our best to make sense of what has happened. We're trying to comfort somebody. We're trying to justify it so we can live with it. But is there a reason for it all the time? Is there a reason that this student of mine, that her 18-year-old cousin was killed by a drunk driver? Is there a reason for that? I'm not so sure. Now, hang with me. A reason implies a simple cause and effect relationship, an underlying motive that, that helps it make logical sense out of everything that happens and it tries to justify every event as worthwhile and significant. Was that event worthwhile and significant? You know, it was for a reason. I don't know. Stay with me. We cannot fully answer with a reason, but we do know that there is a purpose not always a reason, but indeed a purpose. Again, what does it say in verse 28? In all things, God works together for good for those who love the Lord, those who are called according to his, what does it say? Purpose. To his purpose. There's an eternal purpose of God to restore this universe to its intended splendor, to restore us, to make us whole, to help us find that justice and wholeness that we yearn for, to find that peace that we yearn for, Reason really focuses on the isolated event. Purpose looks at the big picture. Reason's focused on that present. Purpose looks down the road. Let me put it this way. Reason insists on an explanation, and sometimes that explanation is too shallow. Purpose says, let's get on with it. Reason hangs on to the event. Purpose hangs on to God who is at work through it all. I hope you see that fine line there. Purpose over Reason. Romans 8.28 is about purpose, not reasons. Romans 8.28 does not say everything that happens is good. No, it says that in all things, God's going to work it toward good, toward his purpose, and on his own time, which is the challenging part for you and me, which is why Paul tries to drive home 
you got to be patient. you got to be patient. And it's great when we can look back at times and see how God's purpose has worked in and through things. Even when we could not give a pat little answer, simple little answer toward this complex situation that really doesn't hold water. But we look back and see how God worked in and through it. I love this book by Bob Benson called See You at the House. And in it, he talks about a conversation we had with, with a friend of his named W.T. Who had, who had had a heart attack recently. And let me just give you this exchange because it's kind of interesting. Bob went up to him and said, well, W.T., how did you like your heart attack? What? what? How did you like your heart attack? W.T. said, well, it scared me to death, almost literally. Well, W.T., would you like to do it again? Uh, no. Would you recommend it? Definitely not. Well, well, W.T., does your life mean more to you now than it did before? Well, yes. And you and Nell have always had a beautiful marriage, but are you closer than ever? Oh, no question. We're, we're, we're much, much closer now. Well, how about you and your new granddaughter? Do you hold her more tightly now? Oh, of course I do. Well, do you have new compassion for people and a deeper understanding and sympathy? Well, yes. Does your faith run deeper now, W.T.? Well, yes. <laughs> well, W.T., how do you like your heart attack? <laughs> well, silence was W.T.'s answer. Again, that's going into the groanings of the soul, I think. There are really no words for that or not a good answer for that. But, and again, neither Bob Benson nor I are saying, hey, you ought to rush right out now and have a heart attack so you'll appreciate things more. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is often you can look back and see the blessing in the process in spite of the hardship the pain, the suffering, the trial. You might not always see a reason at that time, a reason why this is going on. But you can look back and see how God worked his purposes through this situation. And he's doing that for you even now. That might be difficult for you to claim, but yet I hope and pray that even as you're trying, you know, some, some things are just unanswerable, as you know. It's like there, there's not really a reason. There's not an easy answer, but I can see how God is working through this. By faith, we'll know that there's a purpose. Look at Romans 8.28 there, by the way. Look at Romans 8.28 there. Does it say, we think that in all things God works together for good? Or we conjecture? Or we're banking on it? What does it say? We, what's the verb there? We know that in all things God works for good. Not we wish, not we think, not we guess. We know, and that word there for no means really absolute, unshakable confidence. I like the way Rick Warren puts it. Rick says, if you're going to learn to make it through trials, it's going to be on the basis of what you know. That's why two people can have the same problem, and yet one grows through it, and the other is destroyed by it. It's the difference between knowing that God can work it for good and simply wishing that he would. And he concludes by saying this, it's the difference between moping and hoping. (laughs) Which are you going to do? Are you going to be a moper or a hoper? Let me show you one other thing. Final verse of this whole thing. Go down to verse 30. And I just love this. And and you don't really catch it unless you really look at it. There are four verbs here in the past tense. And we could really unpack these. And those he predestined. And you can believe how. Did he predestine individuals or did he predestine the church? And you have a choice to become a part of it. I I agree with the latter. If you agree with the former, that's great. Guess what? We're all going to get there, which is great. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. I think this is so cool. He talks about it in the past tense because he's writing to members of the saints, members of the church. And he's saying, you remember he predestined you. 
Whether you became a part of it by choice or not, whatever. He predestined you and then he called you because he called out to you and you responded. And then because of that, you were justified and given salvation. But look at the last one. Those who justified, he also glorified. And Paul's talking about what's going to happen in the future when we get to that ultimate place after we are raised to new life and are with him face to face and we are glorified. It's talking about something in the future instead of the past. But the cool thing is, is Paul is so certain, so confident that we will be glorified. He talks about it as if it has already happened. That's how certain he is. That's how much he knows that this is going to happen. Now, I've got to ask you, do you see it that way? Are you trusting that no matter what you are facing in your life, God's purposes are going to be done? In spite of whatever pain you're facing, whatever guilt it might be, whatever sin it might be. Whatever way that you have been betrayed or hurt, no matter what you're dealing with in terms of physical illness or financial situations or relational issues, whatever it might be, nothing can thwart God's purposes, both for all of us collectively and, yes, for you individually. Will you trust that? Nothing's going to get in the way of him working out his purposes in your life now and in the life to come. Friends, that's the best of news. And with that, let's offer a prayer. Lord, some things happen that are beyond words, and it's hard for us to explain it. And we really can't. We confess that. In fact, that's probably good. It reminds us that uh, you are God and we are not. And yet we are your children whom you have adopted, whom you have made heirs, co-heirs with Christ for the life that begins now, eternal life beginning now, but then moving on even beyond death itself. That boundless, inseparable unlimited love that you bring to us and we're so grateful for that but Lord we even have people in this room right now who are going through difficulty and and they need to see that your purposes are working in and through their situation we pray that especially you would speak to them this day and touch their lives be with them oh God may they find words of comfort from others may they find that surpassing peace that only you can offer and Lord we thank you so much that because of your grace We are in your hands no matter what. And as we'll talk about next week, nothing will separate us from your love, whether when we die or even now in this life while we continue to be in it. So we give you thanks, O God. In just a moment, we're going to invite anyone who feels so led to to come forward. And Lord, we just pray that that, uh, if anyone feels led to make a first-time decision to follow you, that they, they would follow through on that and make it public this day. Or if they want to move their church membership or to be baptized or to pray with someone, whatever it might be, pray that they would come forward. And, and Lord, I pray that, that as, as I am there waiting to greet them, that I can be your servant, uh, your vessel of grace for them. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.